If you will, turn your attention to Luke 12. Luke, the 12th chapter in verse 13. Luke 12 in verse 13. It says there, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The context in general is, is great. It's a text you're probably very familiar with. Um, you're probably more familiar with the Matthew account where he's talking about not being anxious uh, for things, the, the food you eat and the, the drinks you have and the clothes you wear. So that's in the greater context of this reading in Luke chapter 12. Uh, and it's interesting to me that Jesus, as he spends time talking about this, he's focused on what we would consider very basic things, telling them not to worry about food and drink and clothes. And those tend to not be the things that we really worry all that much about. We're worried about a lot of other things. And our culture is so immersed in this concept of goods and stuff and materialism that in the week that we spend focusing on being thankful, we don't want to spend too much time there because the very next day we want to be focused on consumerism. That is the culture we live in. And so I remember when this first started, I, well, that I first remember having Black Friday, we would be at Katie's family's on Thursday, and I remember people lining up at like three, four in the morning at Best Buys and other stores to get these amazing deals. And so they, they've just left the Thanksgiving table only to go camp out all night at their favorite store to get the next big thing. And what's sad about all of that uh, is not that it's wrong sometimes to go do those sorts of things. Sometimes there's something we really want, and I have no problem with that. But it's the overall mentality of being so focused on stuff. Stuff becomes a god. It's the god of materialism that we bow down to and that we serve, that we think is going to bring us fulfillment and satisfaction in life. And the reality is it really does none of that at all. And even in the world, people recognize this. There's been numerous studies uh, when I first started looking into this back in 2008 or 2009, there was all kinds of studies. I've since looked at this more, and you can find them in 2018 and 2019 and 20 and 21. What are the things that make us happy? What are the things that really make us feel fulfilled and satisfied in life? Well, more often it tells you the things that will not do that. So, for example... Here is the results of one study, well, really being discussed in another media outlet. People who put money high on their priority list are more at risk for depression, anxiety, and low self-esteem, according to researchers Tim Kasser and Richard Ryan. Their findings hold true across nations and cultures. The more we seek satisfaction in material goods, the less 
we find them there. And I assure you, you can do your own research and you can find numerous things all about this. That the more we focus on stuff and getting stuff, the less that stuff actually makes us feel good. The less it actually satisfies. And those of us who are parents, we can see this very thing happening right before our eyes. Because it's not the adults who struggle with this, right? It's the kids, really, who struggle. No, I'm just kidding. It's us adults, too. But we see it clearly with our kids, right? We get them a toy, and they look at it for a minute, and they go play with a bottle cap. I mean, it's, it never satisfies. It's never enough. And it, so we think, oh, this is going to be this amazing, wonderful gift. And yes, I am doing this before we get to Christmas for this very reason. Because we think so much that this is going to bring joy. This is going to, to change everything. Getting this new gadget or this new car or whatever the item is, it's going to make everything better. And no, it won't. It's just this short little boost of energy. It's that little dopamine hit that then quickly dissipates and then we're on to the next thing. Teddy doesn't really make the baby happy if he screams for an hour and you have to pry it out of his hands. But we convince ourselves sometimes that it's just the opposite. If I can just give him this or give her that blanket or whatever it is that we think is going to bring solutions, actually they often are the problem. And we allow ourselves to be manipulated by things, by stuff. So I want to spend just a few minutes this morning talking about the words of Jesus, the principles, the ideas of what we find in places like Luke chapter 12. I think the most glaring thing to me in Luke 12 is not even the, the section I read to you. Now, there's a lot of great content in there, of course, and some great sayings of Jesus. And you get to the end, and he talks about being rich toward God. And so there's, there's great little places I've, I've underlined and marked, and you probably have too. But what stands out to me as I read a text like this is everything around it. And, and how it contrasts what's going on in the bigger story. It, for example, if you just go back a few verses, Jesus is talking to thousands of people. They're surrounding him so much that they're trampling each other. That's the scene, all the way back to verse 1. And then he's talking about some things that are pretty interesting, like the Holy Spirit being given to them, and their interactions with God, and if they confess the Son of Man before men, and he will confess them before the angels that are in heaven. I mean, some really deep, powerful stuff. And in the middle of all of this, this guy stands up and says, hey, uh, my brother's not giving me part of the inheritance. I mean, do we see how out of place that is in what Jesus is doing here? How incongruous it is to the bigger picture? I mean, Jesus is talking about the things that are most important in life. Eternal life and the Holy Spirit, and God the Father, and all of these amazing concepts. And in the middle of all this, in the middle of all these thousands of people, this guy thinks it's fitting to stand up and say, hey, my brother's not giving me some money. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the importance of what's happening in this moment, that the Son of God is standing there teaching him some of the most important things he could ever hear in his life. And so is he obsessed with his stuff? Of course he is. Because in the midst of all of that, what he is most thinking about is this inheritance that needs to be divided between him and his brother. And that's why Jesus gives the response he did. Am I, am I 
a judge or arbitrator of you. It's not that Jesus doesn't care at all about this guy or even about this situation or the conflict, but it is the, the incongruity of what's happening in this moment. He's talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and not being anxious about those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. In the midst of all of this, this guy is worried about stuff. And of course, I think the message in this for me and for you is I can be the same way if I'm not careful. We can come to a place like this and worship together and sing the songs and pray, and yet moments after we walk out the door, what is our mind focused on? What matters most to us in that moment? Maybe even what are we thinking about in these moments? Have you ever been there? I have. Catch myself with my mind drifting to other things, sometimes really unimportant things. And this is a story that's meant to help us refocus, to bring us back to what actually matters. And so when we think about stuff and our dedication to stuff and our obsession with stuff, there's some things we need to consider. That if we love stuff, if that's what's highest on our list, we are going to be greatly disappointed in life. And that's because the stuff that we have will ultimately fail us. Drop down to verse 33. We didn't read this earlier, but again, it's in the general context. So in Luke 12 and verse 33, again, he's telling them, fear not. There's, that's a theme. He's telling them not to fear. Focus on the things that matter on me. Do not fear. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I mean, again, he's talking about kingdom stuff. Stuff that's actually really important. And he's warning them about thinking about the stuff that's not really important. And God wants to give you the kingdom. He wants to give you all things. That's what he really wants. So don't get caught up in all this lowly stuff that doesn't matter. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So again, great sayings, great lines in this whole text. There's another one right there at the end. But notice the contrast that Jesus wants to pull between stuff that we have in life and material possessions and treasure in heaven. Back in 1981, uh, a year before I was born, IBM came out with the first PC. Now, there have been other computers. It's not the first computer. But this is the first personal computer. Anybody have one of those? Anyone? No? No one got one? Okay. The average price of that PC was about $3,000. You could get cheaper models, but... On average, it was about $3,000. They could go up to $20,000. They were amazing. Does anybody want one right now? You go drop $20,000 on a 1981 IBM personal computer? Now, maybe because it has some kind of value because of its antiquity. <clears throat> but for actual use, you laugh at that because you know it's pretty much worthless. I think back even uh, even more recently, you know, Apple came out with iPhones, what, around 2007. Do you want one of those original iPhones? Would you walk around using that? I mean, that's not even that long ago. But the reality is stuff gets old. 
it, it wears out. It stops working. Anybody ever have anything stolen from you? That's pretty frustrating, isn't it? Maybe something that you greatly value and someone just comes and swipes it from you. You put a lot of effort. Maybe you saved money to, to buy whatever this thing is and then in a moment it's gone. This is what Jesus is talking about. If, you're, if your mind is focused on stuff, if you serve stuff, you're going to be greatly disappointed because stuff will fail you. The things of this life, they get old and they break and they stop working and they are destroyed. I, I have a grill in my my back patio that I bought not long after I got to my house, a Weber grill. Anybody have a Weber? Pretty awesome, right? Not cheap. Put it back there. The thing's amazing. And then a, a few months back, it, it had already been rotting and decaying, but I had to buy some new parts for it, right? I mean, this is this amazing grill, but you go out there and it's like, you touch it and it's like falling apart. I mean, that's what stuff does. And I was, I was pretty excited when I first got it and put it together and put it out there. Now it's like, oh, I've got to buy parts for it and I've got to fix it. I mean, we, we experience this all the time, don't we? Whatever that thing was that we thought was going to bring us such joy, then it's causing frustration later on. One of the, the sources I looked at was a video from 2020. A guy talking about some results of research on happiness. And he, again, it was five things that will not make you happy. Pretty interesting list, actually. Money was number one, so that's pretty obvious. Uh, but he talked about some other things that maybe we don't think about as much. A high-status job, right, from his research. Oh, having this great job, some high-status position and job. You know, and, and part of what he talked about is there are kind of limits to all of this. Once you start making sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year, money doesn't really change a whole lot in your life. In fact, it can just start making things worse because you're more worried about it. Same thing with high-status jobs. It, it, it helps us, and he's speaking here from a worldly perspective, but it helps our, our confidence and those sorts of things to have some kind of status. But when you get to a certain point, it doesn't really help that much. In fact, we're driven to want something that actually isn't going to give us much in return. But here's some interesting ones. Love. The next three are related, so I'll list them together. Love, marriage, and children. Like you think those things are going to make you happy, but what's actually interesting is the things sometimes that we think will make us happy actually can make us very frustrated because it's all about the choices we make related to them, and this is part of his point. So we imagine in our fairy tale scenario that having love is going to bring us such joy and fulfillment, but really that's actually going to come from our own personal decisions that we then bring into those relationships, whether it's marriage or whether it's our children or some other relationship in which involves this idea of love. That's not what really is bringing the happiness. It's that we are content with who we are and what we bring to those relationships. And so we fool ourselves into thinking that joy and happiness is going to come from various sources, that if I could just have some wealth and some power, well, then I would be happy. But the reality is that all of this stuff is going to fail us in the end anyway. Peter talks about this. The earth is going to be burned up and all of its works. Everything around us is eventually going to be gone. We're not taking anything with us. You've heard that said before. All these things we think are important but whether it's our education or the money we've made or any of that, it's all going to stay here and be burned up. It's only a tool to be used for other more important things. 
And so all of that is ultimately going to fail us. And then along with that, stuff is never going to satisfy. Well, we've kind of hit along those ideas with some of these studies I mentioned, and of course these overlap in nature, but the stuff is going to fail us in the end if that's our focus. It's also not going to bring meaning and purpose to life. Stuff doesn't make us content. And if we let it rain in our heart, it actually makes us discontent. It does just the opposite. When we're so focused on that new gadget or that new toy or the new car we have to have or whatever it is we're allowing to rain in our heart, it's actually going to bring a lack of fulfillment, a lack of satisfaction. The rich man had plenty. That's the scenario Jesus is painting in Luke 12. He has more than he needs. And I think Jesus tells this story in a very purposeful way. This guy is wealthy. He has more than he needs. He's filling his barns. And his solution, not necessarily bad in and of itself, it's more about his attitude and what he carries with it. But he's so focused on storing more and more and more. But I question what he says to himself. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. If that were the case, why wasn't he saying that already? He's already got full barns. He already has more than he needs. The problem he has is not that he doesn't have enough. It's that he's looking somewhere to store more and more and more. And so he is self-deceived. He's in denial. He's telling himself, if I just get a little bit more, if I just tear these barns down, build bigger ones, and then I fill those, then I'll be happy. Then I'll say to my soul, now you can relax and eat and drink and be merry. Is that how it actually works? The answer is no. And we know this from what we see. That is never how it pretty much works with hardly anyone that is focused in this direction. There are so many examples in our world of amazingly wealthy athletes, CEOs, businessmen who are looking for more and more and more. They could live a hundred lifetimes on what some of them make in one year. And yet, it's not enough. They want more. So stuff has a way of demanding newer and better and more exciting. And yes, I'm using the word stuff with a capital S. It's like a God in our life. If we aren't careful, we elevate it above all else. And when we do that, it is demanding more and more of us and never allows us to feel satisfied or content which then inevitably leads to a mindset of bitterness, jealousy, comparison. That's another thing that sucks joy and happiness from life, is looking around and seeing what others have and deciding that we need that. You'll find that on those lists if you go look for them. Materialism is an insatiable God that teaches his disciples to always want more better. And that what is had is never enough. Not only does it keep us from contentment, it keeps us from understanding what our real purpose actually is. 
a life devoted to things, the stuff, is just a pretty sad existence. And again, there's, there's numerous stories of these types of things, people who seem to have had it all, and then, of course, they live a life that is very sad and unfortunate. They have no one around them, no family. Uh, you can find those stories because their life was so focused on the things. And, of course, it's easy to, to hold all those up with the wealthy and the powerful, but if we aren't careful, the same sorts of things can happen to us. We're focused on our jobs, our careers. We're, we're focused on the hobbies that we have, and so that gets our attention rather than the people who are right in front of us who truly matter, rather than working in the kingdom of God, seeking first His kingdom, which is what Jesus tells these people to do. Not realizing that all of these things are all going to be taken away. They're all going to be destroyed. Maybe even worse in our minds is that these are all going to be given to someone else. Jesus pulls this phrase, right? And I think he's actually looking back to the wisdom of Ecclesiastes here. Toward the end of our reading, he says, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. Uh, the things you've prepared, whose will they be? This is a lot like the wise man in Ecclesiastes who's, who's contemplating all the things he's done and everything he's tried to accomplish, and in the midst of all of that, he realizes this is all going to be given to somebody who's going to waste it. So you've done all this work, and you've built the bigger barns, and then what's going to happen with all of that? One day you'll be gone, and someone won't appreciate it, and they'll waste it all. Now, we're speaking in generalities. I know there's people who use their money well and use their inheritance well, and I get that. I think Jesus understands that. These are not principles that are always true. It's just giving us general wisdom about life and how this works. And the lack of contentment and satisfaction and the lack of purpose that exists in focusing our lives on stuff and how we'll never find peace through things. But the peace is only going to come through Jesus Christ. And so in the end, stuff doesn't remove sin. It doesn't remove guilt. It doesn't provide hope. It doesn't bring us to eternity. All of these things that actually matter that Jesus is talking about here to all these thousands of people, these important matters that Jesus is trying to teach when this guy interrupts to talk about some earthly, lowly thing, all of that stuff doesn't do any of that. It doesn't give peace of mind. It doesn't give contentment. It doesn't give eternity. It never fulfills. And Jesus tells us, even in this life, our life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That's the first thing he tells the guy. I've often wondered in the story, what is this guy doing in the midst of all of this? You know, sometimes I've been there, maybe you have too, you, you kind of speak up and you realize after you say something it was kind of foolish. And then you kind of want to duck away and get as far away as you can. And I think this guy might have been there. Right, speaks up in this moment and Jesus rebukes him and then says, hey, your life is not about stuff. What's wrong with you? And then he tells this story, again, would have been very embarrassing. And not that Jesus is trying to embarrass this guy, but it's just the reality of where his mind is in relationship to where it should be. His attitude toward the things of life is clearly off track. His priorities are mistaken. He's not seeking the kingdom first. And that's where Jesus ultimately goes with this in verse 31. 
Don't be so focused on what you're eating and drinking, on all the stuff in the world. But instead, seek His kingdom. You're going to have the things you need. You know, what, what God needs for you to have in this life, you will have. But focus mostly on what all of this is for, which is an eternity with God. There's a little play on words here that's going on in the text that I find interesting. He's talking to himself a lot, already a problem. He's telling him all the things I'm going to do. Right? I shall do this, and I'll have places for my crops, and I'll store them here, and I'll say to my soul, it's really bad when you start speaking in the third person, I will say to this my soul, soul, you have ample goods. Things are great. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to do all this stuff. And God says to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. The point is that this guy doesn't know what's best for his soul. He thinks all the stuff is what's good for his soul. And all the barns that are filled with goods, he thinks that's what's good for his soul. And he's looking off and he's thinking, oh, my soul, I'm going to rest and relax and have good times, which I doubt he'll actually do. But that's what he's telling himself in his lies to himself as he's talking to himself. But the reality is, Jesus says, you're not considering what your soul most needs. And that is not all these barns and not all the riches and not all the focus on the stuff. But what you actually need is to be rich toward God. And so then he says at the end of this text, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where the thieves don't break in and steal, and the moth does not destroy, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that is the crux of the point right there. Yes, stuff will fail and it will not satisfy and it doesn't take care of sin, but ultimately this is a problem of the heart. And that's where Jesus ends this. The problem with this man in Luke 12 has nothing to do with his things and everything to do with his heart. He has a heart problem that is causing conflict with his brother. Maybe his brother has a heart problem too. I don't know. He's not talked about. But the problems that actually exist in this story with relationships and his attitude all come back to what he actually treasures. Rather than treasuring the relationship with his brother, he's much more interested in the inheritance that he's going to get, all the stuff he's going to have. And so as we move into a time of the year where we focus a lot on stuff, it seems, the encouragement of this story is for us to keep our priorities where they ought to be. Young people, what actually matters is your relationship with your parents, not what they give you. What matters is our relationship to each other, to our brothers and sisters, not the things that they give us for holidays, the gifts that are given. Now, those things can be important, and they show appreciation, and they show gratitude, and so I understand all of that, and there's a message being sent by the fact that we think of somebody, and we want to give them something, and we want to show generosity, so all of that is also very, very important, but it's not about the stuff. It's about the heart that we have. And where our treasure is, there we'll find our heart as well. So as we move to this last part of the year, I hope that our minds and our hearts stay focused on gratitude. 
on Thanksgiving that we just thought about because it is such an important idea and concept. It's all over the place in the New Testament. That we should be people who are grateful, who show thanksgiving toward God, toward each other. And that we don't get too caught up in all of the consumerism that surrounds us. All the things that happen in life that are telling us to buy and to spend and to focus on the things of this world. But we'll actually use this time of year, which is great in many ways, because we slow down, we spend more time with family, that we'll actually use it for that purpose, to think about what actually matters. Our families and these families and our relationship to God and who He is in our life. And it could be this morning that you realize you focus too much in your life on the things of this world. And you're ready to give it back to God. You realize your life is not really about you. It's about Him. He is the Creator. He is the Sustainer. And you want to serve Him. If that's the case, we're ready to help you do that this morning. There's many who've done that in this room who've given their lives to Jesus Christ. And we want to encourage you to do that same thing. Can we help you this morning? Why don't you come as we stand and we sing together?